and welcome to the Destiny Prague podcast. Our heart is to see people empowered by the love of Jesus and activated by the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Word of God is still relevant today, and we trust that this message will bless you, challenge you, and fill your heart and mind with the truth of who God is and who you are in Christ. We believe that God has a plan for your life, and we want to journey a road of discipleship with you as you discover who He has called you to be. If you'd like to connect with us, check out our website at destinychurch.cz. Let's go. We're continuing in our series called Courageous Prayers. Delara kicked that off last week um, by speaking on the topic of Search Me, O Lord, Psalm 139. Uh, Really special. It's on the podcast. Go take a look at that. Delara did a great job. We were out in the Netherlands. I don't know why we thought to take a weekend and group someone else's children with ours in a house uh, for two days. It was absolutely chaotic. Straight into a crazy week. I actually needed a weekend after last weekend, but it was very good. Felt very close to my home eats and goodies, the Pannekoeken. Um, so it was all really, really good, and it was good to see some friends. So, yeah, so we're getting into courageous prayers for the second week. Uh, my name is Donovan. For those of you that don't know who I am, my wife and I are elders. <laughs> In this church, we were pastoring here, and um, we're making room for God to do what He has to do in this body, so we continue to serve um, in a courageous way, in any shape or form that we can. So we're just excited for what God's doing in this body. We're not as full, probably, as we were last week and the week before. Uh, Rest at ease. We are looking um, for where God wants us to expand into, so I promise that we won't be squashed like sardines into this place forever. Uh, We do have vision more space. So exciting. Okay, so we have this series called Courageous Prayers because there's a point in our prayer life and our walk with God where we need courage to ask for certain things. And we need courage to pray into certain things. Or at least we need to be quite intentional into the way that we pray. And I hope that this series, if nothing else, provokes some thinking in you to use your dialogue and your time with the Lord differently. Sometimes, and I've said this before, we like to treat God as a spiritual vending machine. We only come to Him when we need something, and that's completely okay, because He loves you, and He wants that sort of language with you. But when you get past just using Him for a place of need, your posture of your heart changes, and when you start to pray courageously and you really understand who He is in your life and who you are in Christ Jesus and how powerful things like prayer and praise are, your dialogue starts to change a little bit and you realize your prayer life has massive impact. It can change things around you. It can break things in your life. And eventually, God and yourself enter into this dialogue where you're moving into a completely different place with Him. And you become dependent on him and your prayer starts to change. And I've heard so many people over the years say this, God doesn't answer my prayers. Has has anyone ever heard anyone say that? I've been praying and praying and praying and God doesn't answer my prayers. Friends, I'd love to encourage you to have a continued dialogue with the Father. But know this, he hears and answers every prayer. He hears and answers every every single prayer, right? He's like the Father Christmas of prayers. No, I don't want to joke about this. He answers every single prayer. Say that. He answers every single prayer. Do you know what a, 
what an an a typical answer might look like to a prayer request? No. The question we need to ask ourselves is, are we ready to receive his response? Because sometimes when we pray to him, we're already premeditated what we want him to say, which is, yes, of course, that sounds like a great opportunity. Go forth. Here's all the provision. Do as you want. Have a good time. No is a perfect response because it just might not be good for you. And you might not see it, but he does. Why? Because he's a good father. He's a good father. I don't know about your dad's. Or parents in general but my dad didn't give me anything right that he didn't think was good for me in actual fact now being a parent of a five-year-old and a two-year-old no is the default response for anything actually and if he's really desperate for it he's gonna come back and come back and come back and come back until you can actually rationale behind what he's asking right so no might be a perfect response because it might just not be good for you or it might be great for you but at the wrong time in your life and can absolutely destroy you. Oh, but Father, I love her so much. Oh, he's so gorgeous, Lord. Come on. Hey? How many of us have prayed those prayers? Oh, he's perfect. Not Audrey. She's too career-focused. When we get to the break-me part, we'll deal with Audrey. Sometimes they might just not be good for you. He's a jealous God. Nicole's laughing. Is it heading home? A silent response is sometimes a good response. For those that are married, you would know this a lot. You ask a question and she just looks at you in a weird, strange way. And she's waiting for you to get to the answer because she told you several times over the last couple of weeks and you just have forgotten. But sometimes there's a silent response, giving you time to get to your own conclusion through prayer and fasting. Why? Because the answers are in the Word of God. And sometimes He desires you to go deep with Him, to seek Him out, to search Him. And sometimes no response at all is a good enough response from God. But we don't like that because we want to act now, right? We're groomed that way. We don't want to wait on Him. He desires intimacy with you and to seek Him out. A silent response is a good enough response. Sometimes the typical response is move now, right? And he gives you that immediate peace in your heart and you just know this is him. When he says move now, but often we want to then control the part following. So he says move, but then we want to sit and control the outworkings of what that move looks like. Just me? So we pray, Father, what do you think about this? He goes, yes, absolutely. Gives you peace in your heart. You move, but then you want to control what follows. This is not how he works. When we moved to Prague, it was for a career move, and we felt immediately like this was the right thing. We didn't, had never been to Prague before. Our parents told us they're still at war and there's army tanks in the streets, but we just felt it was God. So we moved for a career, and our move looked like this. Lord, leave us alone for at least a year. We were doing citywide worship, we were doing blah, 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 fill in the blank, it doesn't matter. And we said, Lord, just give us time. We were battling to fall pregnant, all sorts of stuff. We just needed to decompress. We didn't need the stress of things. But God had a completely different plan for us. Within month three, we were pregnant. Within month two, we were serving in a local church. By the end of that year, that local church wanted us to become eldership at that church. We started doing citywide worship. Three years ago, we took over leading this church. 
and, 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 and. Sometimes he says move, and we think, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to travel three times a month. Thank you, Lord, for this provision. How gracious you are, Lord. For 20 years of my 55, 70-year lifespan, I'm going to waste on traveling. And he goes, no, absolutely not. So you're going to land there, and I'm going to put you to, put you to task. And that's exactly what he did. And so often in the last seven years, Jess and I have looked and said, did we make the right move? And you know what his answer is to us every single time? Look at my hand of grace upon you. Child number three, we could not conceive. My workplace is a testimony upon testimony. He gives me more and more influence in that place. And I'm not chasing the money, right? I'm chasing the change internally. So we're looking at seven courageous prayers over the next couple of weeks. Search me, Delara. Today, I don't know why they give me these topics. Break me and stretch me. And that is going to rip you to pieces this morning. So be ready for that. We're going to continue in weeks to come with fill me, lead me, use me, send me. And all of these things have something in common. They involve a specific type of heart posture and tone towards the Father. We're going to look at some folks in the Bible, and when you start to unpack <laughs> these courageous prayers in your life, I, I'm hoping that it provokes you to change some of the language that you have in your discussions with God. And some of that change might look like this. Father, I want to be changed. I want to be exposed. We sang in the last song, Break Me Apart. When I look at lyrics like that, I always laugh because I think to myself, well, who's going to sing that? You know, <laughs> And when I see that line, I think twice about, am I going to sing that today? Because I know when you really desire those things, you need to lay your life down for his purposes and plans. Change me. Expose me, Lord. Transform me. Use me, Lord. May I be filled by you. Without you, I am nothing. I'm yours to be used, to be shaped, to be refined as you need me to, so that you may be glorified in and through me. This is the type of posture I'm trusting that God will take you in as we continue this series. So we spoke about Search Me last week, where we want to access God, but often we don't want to allow access to our lives or Him to access our lives. We spoke about God heals what is revealed. God heals what is revealed. When you come to Him exposed and you're vulnerable with Him, He's able to heal. God's not forceful in his character. He's not going to come and just take you over, right? He wants you to get to a place with him where he's like, Lord, I need to sort this thing out in my life, and I don't know how, whatever it may be. could be addiction. could be pride. could be finance. It could be that you don't feel good enough for anybody or yourself. could be self-worth. So I'm going to move into stretch me this morning. And stick with me, yeah, this is quite a lot. It's going to be quite heavy, right? Are we ready for it? Are we okay? Are we open to God to, to move this morning? So, Father, we just ask, Lord, that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you just rest on every single mind and heart this morning, Lord. Not to hear these words and go, I don't know if that's for me, Father, but to go, Lord, I desire so much more of you. I just see a life with you that's exciting, that's adventurous, Lord, and I want more. I want to go deeper, Lord. So, Father, I just pray that your presence rests so heavily in this room right now. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. 
Matthew 21 verse 22 says this, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Jesus had just cursed the fig tree and it withered. Using this as a prime example to teach his disciples about the power of prayer. Do we honestly believe that? Do you believe that what you pray for, pray for, sorry, can come to pass? God is not a God who calls us to mediocrity or to be idle in his things. He's about growth and multiplication. He's about taking ground, expansion, and scale is wired into everything that he does. Hear what I'm saying? Amen? You can say amen. You're allowed to agree with me. So when you ask and you believe, you should expect to see it come. Right? So when I come to church on a Sunday, I come expectant. Else I wouldn't come here. I would be at home watching television. Right? But I come because I believe that when desperation and faith meets God's presence, stuff happens. Miracles happen. People are healed. Marriages are restored. People are set free. Why? Because I'm expectant and I pray for it. And I believe it. Because that's how he works. He said this to Israel in Isaiah 54 verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. He was speaking to Israel specifically at that time, saying, I'm going to do something new, and you better be ready for it. You better hold on. I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to show you things that only I can deliver. And his promises came to pass. If we truly believe that what we pray for will be received and that God wants to stretch us, then our prayer life has to transform into something that we believe is powerful. That when we pray in faith, we believe to see it come to pass. So when I pray to God, I think, Lord, I'd really like if you could like do this thing for me. That would be really cool of you. Because I know and believe that he's got my best interests at heart. So I skip that chapter. No problem in asking God for things. But I know that he has my best interests at heart. Why? Because I know who I am in Christ Jesus, and I know that he's a good father. But when I pray, I pray in faith for things to change, right? I pray, Father, make me a better husband. Father, I want my finances to reflect your biblical guidelines for my life. Father, I want to be a man that is generous and that can bless over and above what's physically possible. Father, I want to be a good son to my mother. I want to be the best husband that I can be. Teach me your ways, Lord. Stretch me in this area, Father. It is not good enough that I've read a book, chapters 1 through to 6, by some financial guru in the world that lived 40 years ago, Lord. I want your biblical principle in this area of my life. Because when it's in your realm, it's in your blessing. And you can do with it. And when I start to believe for these things that I ask for, he starts to change my whole lens and view on how I look at things. I don't look at how much money I have in the bank. I look at where the need is and how do I bless. And I trust him to bring provision for those things. Amen? When we pray, we pray with this sort of faith. The posture of our hearts and the intention behind our prayers change. My prayers become less self-centered and more exercised towards the environment and the people around me. 
We pray for our workplace to be a place that honors biblical principles, righteousness, fairness, and a place that brings glory to God. We pray for God's dominion in areas that seem to have godlessness or do not represent God's order of things. Amen? You still with me? I'm talking about how our prayer life is transformed when we start to pray courageously. and We start to know our place and position in his family. We pray for our spouse to experience the full blessing of God's splendor. I pray for my wife, right? And I don't go to God and say, oh, Lord, I wish you'd be less dramatic. Oh, God, I wish you wouldn't watch reality TV. Please just convict her, Holy Spirit. That's not what I pray, although maybe I should be praying. But I pray for her to experience the full blessing of God's splendor. And you know what he responds? He goes, okay, I'm going to work on you. I'm going to work on you, Don. So that you can promote her to be the fullest that she can be in my, in my kingdom. Amen? Amen? And you need to be open for that. We pray for people to come to the knowledge and salvation in Christ Jesus. And when it burns in our heart, the outworking of this is called evangelism. We get out of our seats and we start to do something. We expect miracles upon every person that we pray for. Healing, reconciliation, for people to be set free. When we invite you to come for prayer here, and we lay hands and we pray, we believe that what we ask for is done in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? We don't pray for you because we just think it's a good thing to do. I had some friends that texted me that said, please pray for us in this particular area the other day. And I responded like this, no, not praying for that thing. Because I know what the word of God says in this area. We need to sort this thing out first. The prayer needs to look slightly differently. God is practical. Our prayer becomes a weapon to shift the atmosphere and the environment we find ourselves in. And we pray like this, on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Your way, Father, not ours. You must increase, Lord, and we must decrease. Pray those prayers this morning. So your prayers are often based on your, your view of God's character. How you pray shows what you really believe. If you believe that he's out to get you, you won't ask him to be involved. Quite simply put, you'll hold back and invite him into various parts of your life. You'll keep things in darkness, in the shadows. You'll be like, Lord, help me in the workplace, but don't help me in my relationships. Don't help me in my finances. Those are things I'll work out myself. What is your view on God this morning? Is he out to get you or does he have your best interest at heart? Do you think he might, as the creator of the world, have a view on how things should work? Have an order on how things should be structured? If you believe that he's out to take from you and spoil things for you, you'll probably avoid asking him to have his way in your life as you somehow believe his will will always be worse than your own plan or ability to work things out yourself. And let me tell you, when you invite him in, sometimes things might be painful, right? Might be, it might be painful. It might be uncomfortable. But man, when you do things God's way, there's blessing in it. There's liberty in it. I get to stand on his promises. When I go, Father, I'm doing it your way, but I'm not seeing your promises, Father, what's happening here, it becomes his problem. And we stand on his promises. 
But if you're convinced that he has the best for you, only the best for you, you will pray all kinds of prayers that welcome his involvement and the changes that he wants to bring in your life. What is your view of God this morning? Ephesians 3 verse 20 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. This is Paul praying for the Ephesians. God is able to do far more than we can ever imagine. But he's going to stretch us. How are people in the Bible stretched? Some examples, just very quickly. David took on Goliath. He was a young boy. But he couldn't stand the enemy taunting the armies of Israel. Who will stand against my God? Do you think he was ready, prepared, armor, well-trained, could wield a sword? No. And we all know the story. He takes down an enemy, probably willing to die that day. Joseph gets taken away from his family. Lies told about him. Gets absolutely stretched during multiple seasons in his life until he's elevated to become governor of Egypt. Stretched. Abandoned. Gideon. God told him, you don't get thousands of people to go take on the enemy. He had an army of 32,000 at that point in time. You know what God said to him? Ah, ah, ah. That's too many. Because when we win, they're going to think it's in your own ability and because of your own skill and because of how good your army is. What happens? 20,000 leave. 10,000 leave. Until there's only 300 men. And God does the impossible there stretched Gideon to the absolute maximum but everybody knew who the God of Israel was that day Sarah and Abraham trusted beyond the natural in order to bear child Moses gave thousands of excuses why he couldn't lead the people out of Egypt Jesus told others to leave their family and let the dead bury their own dead talk about a stretching message right the 12 disciples, Jesus had the audacity to tell them, the 5,000 sitting in front of them, feed my people. Stretching moment for the disciples. You see, because in a moment like that, when you have a limited resource and you have a massive task, we sang about taking on a giant earlier, there's only but whole dependency on God in that moment to do the miraculous. Peter was personally stretched through one word. Come, Peter. And he had to step out of the boat that day, walking on water, defying signs. If you ask God to speak to you, his answer will always stretch you. will always stretch you. Prophetic words. Who's received a prophetic word? I'm sure plenty of you. Some of you dream prophetically. I know this. I always say to Jess, the prophetic in most times just propels in a particular direction. God speaks and he says... But the outworkings of that, you never really know, and you need to trust him. When God speaks to you, it will stretch you. Receiving a prophetic word that is tested, which is biblical, by the way, to walk that out will stretch you 100%. When we pray, stretch me, we're saying, God, take me beyond my salvation. Take me beyond my testimony. Take me beyond what I believe this relationship is. God, I want to see expansion. God, I want you to show me my full potential in you. I want to experience you more. Some of you have never seen yourselves as more than you are 
right now. You've never seen yourself as more than a really good Christian. You've never seen yourself as more than the prophetic words that you've received. Jessica, when she was 16, received a prophetic word that she would, what, lead worship for, for the nations, for the nations. I mean, if anyone's been in church in the last 25 years, that's relatively a common thing to say, for the nations, right? Especially if you're from the south part of America. Anyway, she gets this prophetic word at the age of 16, you're going to worship um, with the nations. And I mean... Your mind goes to all places. Now she's thinking, whatever you see on television, thousands of people in a room, television, blah, 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 blah. only for 10 years later to sit in Prague in a room of 20, 25 people from different nations all across the world and worship. And we looked at each other and we were like, that's the prophetic word coming to pass right there 10 years later. You see, to propel you, what happened from that day? She started to to hone her skill, train, study, research, watch, apprentice under other worshipers. God uses that skill to impact the people around you. Maybe you've never seen yourself as more than what people have labeled you. You've never seen yourself as more than the box that you've built yourself into. God is saying this morning that he wants to stretch you. He wants to show you how he sees you. He wants to show you what potential looks like. He wants to stretch you to a place where you can see yourself the way he sees you. The future the way he sees it. The marriage the way he sees it. Your workplace the way he sees it. Father, may you stretch us this morning. Break me. This is going to be wild. Here we go. 2 Samuel 16 verse 7 says this, For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we've seen this many times in Scripture, and we know this. God cares about your heart. We see it at the money plates when the woman prints two copper coins, and he says she's given more than anybody today. He looks at the heart. Keep that in mind as we read Mark 14 verse 3, a passage that probably is pretty well known. We pray this courageous prayer, break me. Mark 14, 3. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, or Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head, over Jesus' head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for for burial ahead of time. Listen to this, verse 9. This is incredible. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds 
will be remembered and discussed. So we have this woman. I'm not going to get into the theology of this because in other passages she's referred to as Mary. We don't know which Mary that is. It's not important for today. But this woman comes in into a setting where these men are having a dinner and she breaks open this jar of perfume on Jesus. Now, it doesn't sound like she was invited. And given the fact that they scolded her harshly, I doubt very much she's like, hey, I've got this jar I'm going to crack open over Jesus. Is that okay? It doesn't feel to me like she asked permission in the moment. It feels to me when I read this passage that there was a desperation for her to get to Jesus and to do something that probably cost her a whole lot in that moment. And he praises her for it. You see, what God allows to break, he makes new. Hear what I'm saying? When we're talking about brokenness or break me, we're not talking about, Father, destroy me, crush me, give me something unbearable, because that's not his character. That's not his nature. His nature is to, to be glorified through you, right? To bring you up. But there's some things in our heart that I believe he wants to break this morning so that his ways can be embedded in our ways. What God allows to break, he makes new. If we look at Jesus' words in Matthew 16, he says this, 16 verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You see, if we look at Jesus' words in this passage, Jesus is expecting us to die to self, to die to our own worldly ambitions, our ideas, our narratives for our lives. You must give up on your own way. Now, this might sound like an archaic belief system, but just like I said, when God says, move now to Prague for us, we didn't control what comes next. And we tried our best to stay obedient to what he was telling us along that journey. Because he might think your career is great for you. And he might believe that. Why? Because it brings resource into his kingdom. It brings influence into the workplace, which he cares for. But I believe that in our hearts and as we start to pray courageously, we start to see those things as a resource and a tool. But the real mission is his mission. So God, I'm planted in this firm. I'm planted here as a student. I'm planted at this university as a researcher. But what is your ultimate mission for me in this place right now? And this is what he's saying to us. We need to put our priorities, our worldly ambitions and ideas aside to make room for his way. Because what he allows to break, he will make new. Sometimes a God allows the breaking to take place in order that our priorities might come into focus. Because he alone is priority. Is feeding the poor in the context of this passage that we just read important in the day and age? Absolutely yes. Is feeding the poor and looking after the widowed and the orphan and is that important? Yes. In fact, it's biblical instruction. But is it more important than putting him first? Absolutely not. Sometimes, even as church-going people, as good people, I almost did air quotes, you are good people. We need to ask ourselves, is he priority in this thing? 
when I pick up an instrument on the stage, is, am I doing it because I'm a skilled musician and I can do it and people like when I play? Or am I doing it because I'm so desperate for heaven to touch earth in worship that if I have to stand with my guitar and he tells me not to play a single chord, then I'm willing to do that? I'm not going to drill down on that one. He alone is priority. When we allow God to break open the things in our life, examine and refine us, the impurities start to surface and allows him to make new and to make pure. I remember, I tell this story often in the area of finances, and I keep saying this because God has really blessed us in this. Don't have millions, but I don't worry about it. That's for me the setting free that he did. But for so long, I had a response like this to the area of tithing and generosity. I give my time, I give my skill, I give my resources, people use my equipment. Ooh, but partying with money, like, you mean doing an actual transaction every month of physical money? Yeah, I'm not so sure if I, that's Old Testament stuff. Like, I, I don't, I'm not so sure. That's how I used to respond to the area of tithing. God broke me in this area. I said to him one year, about five years ago, I said, Lord, what needs to change for me this year? And he just responded saying, get your finances in order. And I wasn't doing badly at that point, but what he was saying to me was get my biblical principles in this area of your life. It took me a year. And you know what the practical outworking of that looked like? Account details go to Jessica. Don does not look at his finances. Why? Because I have a very healthy spending habit. Very, very healthy. I'm very good at it. But as we started to get this thing right in our lives, and we started to honor God in this principle, my wife can testify to this. Our default response at the end of every month is, where's their need? Where is their blessing? And that's been a prayer in my heart for many years. Father, help me be generous. Help me do with my finances what you expect for me to do with the resource that I have. And this is my personal journey. I'm not imposing this on anybody. But over time, it's become the default. To bless is the default. To give is the default. To show mercy is the default. There are things in my life that I would love to spend on, material things. You can ask my wife. I've put them on hold for months because the priorities, God's priorities, have been above the things that I want. Amen? And we might have heard this cliche, but when we talk about refining things like silver, gold, and I'm going to say it anyway, sorry for those that are super churched in the room, but the person doing the refining, when he knows that all the impurities are removed at the end of the refining process, it's because he can see his reflection in the precious metals. So when we say, Father, break us, reveal the things in our life that are not your way of doing things and he starts to refine and the impurities start to surface and we get rid of the junk and we get things in order in his life what happens his ways are reflected jesus is reflected come on we want this for our marriages i don't need to go stand with a bible in the middle of my workplace my management know my values i don't care what gender i don't care how they identify with they come to me and they open up i've counseled marriages I've counseled people that are confused in the workplace. 
I've counseled people that don't know what the next steps in their lives are, not because I've created a space for people to do that, but because they recognize something that we carry in our hearts, and the world needs it. Amen. Number two, in our breaking, we become desperate for more of him. Mary, or the woman in this case, was likely desperate to meet Jesus that day, to be so close to him, or maybe just to show that she loved and believed in the Messiah. It's likely that something in her heart was so deeply stirred or broken for him that it moved her to do what she did. It moved her to probably give something that would have floated her and her family for a very long time just because it was Jesus. Nothing else was more important to her in that moment. You see, in the breaking, we become desperate for more of Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood that was so desperate in her moment of breaking, where she had nowhere else to turn, when she risked everything, probably being stoned, pushing through the crowd just to touch his hem. And he restores her. He heals her body. He restores her identity. He calls her daughter. He reaffirms her. He restores her place in society in that moment. Jairus, at the same time, risks everything, putting his reputation on the line as a religious ruler at that time. While this woman is touching Jesus' garment, Jairus is pushing through, saying, my daughter's dying. The Pharisees hated Jesus at that time. The religious rulers at the time stood for something that Jesus didn't. But there was no other option in Jairus's, in Jairus's mind. And even in her death, this daughter's death, Jairus's desperation, call it faith if you want, was enough to see his little girl come back to life that day. You see, in our breaking, when we become desperate for the things of God, when we become desperate for Jesus, I cannot help but feel that there's a faith activation and things start to happen. When we are wholly dependent on him, things start to happen. People from outside of the city have been brought in front of Peter to receive healing. Having tried everything, most likely, medicine, I don't know, desperate for change, in their breaking, flocking towards the disciples that had been with Jesus. It says they were bringing them from all over, just so that Peter's shadow might be cast over the sick that day. Peter steps out of the boat, eyes fixed tightly on Jesus' eyes, desperate for him. Starts to defy the principles of science that day, walking on water. Today's day and age, I'm not so sure we understand what it means to be desperate to see God work in our lives. And I backspaced that comment, and then I put it back in, and I backspaced it, and I thought, no, nah, I'm going to be provocative this morning. I don't think we understand what it means to be desperate to see God work in our lives anymore. Liam preached it the other day. The man at the pool of Bethesda, crippled all his life at the pool, watching the angels stir the waters. Woe is me, I can't get into the water. And Jesus stood right next to him and said, what can I do for you today? This is so often where we find ourselves. I remember my sister growing up, my sister had chronic eczema. She was hospitalized three times throughout our childhood. Every single night, for years, I prayed. Father, heal my sister. She doesn't need to be tormented by this terrible ailment for all her life. She couldn't play sports. None of the girls wanted to befriend her. It was horrible, horrible. She was bleeding most of the time. 
um, when she was in hospital, they used to wrap her down with this horrible orange, we call it betadine, I don't know. And they used to wrap her up like a mummy, and she used to sleep like that. I prayed every single night for her. My parents tried all medicine along the coast for years. And one day, God just sent someone along our path, and within one year, completely healed. It's now one of her biggest testimonies. That's why I say, friends, God answers prayer. Might take 10 years, but it kept me desperate with him. It kept my family very grateful and very thankful. Jess and I battling to conceive. I'm not even going to go into that. We prayed and prayed and prayed. It was a difficult time in our marriage, but we saw God come through. We're not a generation that understands desperation. Are we crying out desperately for the salvation of our friends and our family, for our colleagues? Or are we quiet? We prefer to just Netflix and chill, just go about our lives. Are you desperate and trying to get well? Or have you made it your identity? I've met so many people, including some close family, where we like the attention of the ailment that we've lived with all of our lives. Maybe you enjoy the attention that it brings you. Are you desperate to get well? Do you really want it? Do you believe that when you ask that it will be done for you? Are you desperate for financial breakthrough? Well, that something has to change in your life. Oh, but Lord, I don't know how to do a budget. But I like nice things, Lord. I like the bling. I'm not willing to cut back on my spending, God. You know, eating out, it's kind of like a thing, you know. My wife and I connect on those things. Is God first in your finance? Your tithe? Is he honored in your spending? Is your spending all on you, your comfort, your entertainment? Or is your heart to bless and meet the needs of your community first? Be of a generous heart. Because when you pray, break me in a particular area of your life, let me tell you something, this is going to transform in you. But God, I'm generous. I tithe. Ever heard that? I'm a very generous person. My 10% is the first thing that goes out the door. Actually, I've got a debit order set up. It goes off automatically. That's how generous I am. Friends, when you ask God to break you in this area, the first thing he's going to tell you is, everything you have, I've given you. The 10% is you bringing back to me. That's not generosity. It started in the garden it's all yours, Adam. Just don't touch these two trees. Just leave them for me. They're mine. Right? Generous, generosity is not tithing. You can go read Exodus and Leviticus. The, the Israelites were generous people. In fact, they tithed 25%. And at some point in Exodus, Moses said, stop bringing, please. There's no more space to store the riches of this nation. They were building the temple. Are we crying out in desperation for world crisis that's on our doorsteps, doorsteps, godly government, refugee crisis, godly homes? Are we desperate for godly homes? Are you desperate to see God move in your home with your children, in our education systems? Are we desperate for the protection of our kids in a world that has a demonic agenda against them, bringing confusion in gender and identity? Yes, I said it. It's a demonic attack. 
I was at a beautiful school the other day, beautiful school the other day, and these 10-year-olds took us around the school. And I'm going to say it, right? Fire me. And these kids did such an excellent job at taking us through the school. And then they took us to this mural that they had painted. I said, oh, that's fantastic. Mosaic and very colorful. And I certainly can't produce anything nearly as close to that. And they said, yeah, it's a transgender mural. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. How do you know it's transgender? Um, our teachers told us, right? Whether that's true or not, this is 10-year-old kids. Are we praying protection over our kids? Are we silent or are we saying, God, break me? Things need to change around me. Father, use my prayer to shift the atmosphere and the things in our world. Because when the church is silent, the world has its own agenda that will take over. It's time for the church to open their mouths. Brokenness brings blessing in closing. Thanks to Laura. The very thing that from a worldly perspective in this passage, this woman that absolutely blessed Jesus, anointed Jesus, as he says, was scolded by the very people that were closest to him. See, the very thing that from a worldly perspective seemed wasteful, seemed irresponsible and out of place, the breaking of something so precious found favor in the sight of Jesus. The breaking might be uncomfortable, but let me tell you, if you're breaking because of him and because you want him in your life, it's favorable in his sight. And he's not going to leave you there in pieces. He's going to slowly start stitching you back together. And by the time you're finished, you're going to be more beautiful than you were in the first place. It says in John 12 that the fragrance of the perfume filled the room. Everybody, Everybody knew. Even the folks outside of that room knew that something special had happened. Something had changed. The disciples were schooled that day by her brokenness, by her desperation with them. You see, they had lost sight over the main thing, even those that were closest to him. Is feeding the poor a good thing? Yes, but not at the cost of taking your eyes off of Jesus.